Welcome to MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's Soccer Player Development Podcast. Discover all the secrets, hints and tips about soccer player development and soccer coaching from some of the leading figures in world soccer. Here's your host, Saul Isaacson-Hurst. Welcome back, guys. Welcome back to another show. Uh, apologies, haven't been able to get uh, more shows out sooner, but uh, June is the busiest time of year for me. I've uh, been working with some top, top players, players from all around the world uh, and um, supporting them. And uh, so it's been a really busy time, but back on it now, releasing this podcast. And this week we've got a top, top one for you. Uh, this is Mike Dodds, who's Academy Manager at Birmingham City FC. Um, first met Mike about... 10, 15 years ago, early years at Spurs, and um, he was uh, also working in his early years there, and he's worked his way up at Birmingham all the way through the FP and YDP, all the way to the to the uh, academy manager's role. And uh, it's interesting when you when you talk to people from clubs, you're always looking for something different, you get those real key takeaways, and it's really refreshing here. You know, you get some re- you get to hear some real innovation and really interesting things that are going on at Birmingham, uh, real top top academy real top player development uh, centre producing players not, not obviously Jude Bellingham's the famous one recently but they've got a strong top track record of developing and producing players for the top level so a real top uh, interview top guy and I know you're going to enjoy it and lots of really interesting takeaways if you haven't yet make sure you check out the uh, coaches pass um, we're currently doing a series of uh, um, sessions with coaches from one of our partner clubs, uh, Leighton Orient FC, uh, another top academy uh, in the lower leagues, but they've got a real interesting philosophy based around ball mastery and 1v1. So remember the coaches pass, uh, check it out on my personal football coach. Uh, it's the only place where you get uh, live video sessions every single week from uh, coaches from around the world and myself. So uh, check it out, it's got a seven day free money back guarantee. Uh, but without further ado, let's get into the show. So, Mike Dodds, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Can you get a brief outline of your playing and coaching journey up to this point? Yeah, like most um, young kids that, that play football, obviously wanted to go down the professional route. Didn't quite happen for me. So I've got the second best job in the world, which is um, coaching the game. So it uh, didn't quite happen for me from quite a young age. I was very lucky in terms of when I, when I reflect that. Uh, I went to college and we had a little cohort of uh, kind of young whippersnappers that um, the college recognised that were sporty but had some kind of academic um, prowess, maybe, if that's the, the phrase to use. And they put us on our kind of coaching courses alongside our BTEC in kind of sports development. And at the time, there was no real aspirations of being a coach. I'll be honest with you, you're kind of 17, 18 and you're just kind of living day to day and just enjoying yourself. Um, but alongside that course, I did my level one and level two. Um, went into the, the college that I went to were really, really good with me, and they put me on my B license, which I know now the rules have changed slightly. You have to be a certain age, but I did my B license at 18. Um, worked for 18 months voluntary at Coventry City um, from the age of kind of 18 to 20. Uh, working the foundation phase, then got a part-time job with Birmingham City for three years and then moved very quickly into being full-time, obviously before the introduction of each of So I was kind of a nice 16 youth coordinator, which uh, looking back at it almost killed me. <laughs> um, and then obviously the each kicked in, um, moved into kind of YD phase, 
moved very quickly into um, kind of head of PDP and then currently hold the role of uh, head of academy. So um, I like to think I've pretty much done it all from a practical perspective. So, so tell us about that, that first role at Coventry. You're, you're a very young coach. You're working in academy football. Can't be that many. Uh, remember, we talked about Tottenham had a quite a young staff. But we were talking about early 20s, mid-20s. What was, that, what was that like for you as a, as, a young, as a young coach in that environment? What were your, the big takeaways that you, you, you know, you're thinking back? Uh, massive eye-opener. Um, if I'm honest, I was terrible. Um, Coventry actually had some really experienced staff at the time, which was massively helpful in terms of people kind of, you know, kind of mid to late 60s that had been at the football club that had been seen it all. So I was massively uh, fortunate from that perspective. But when you think back to it, I mean, I was terrible. Some of the sessions you put on and um, some of the things you think you know at the time. Um, actually makes me cringe a little bit if I'm being completely honest with you. Um, but well, so why, so why was why why was that then? Were just your stuff you were just doing sessions that you just Yeah, I or? just yeah, I think I was just doing sessions from when I played as a kid. You just kind of yeah. replicate sessions that you do as a kid. I I'll be completely honest with you, I'm eighteen years old, I'm going through my B license, I'm working voluntary. Um and at that time if I'm being completely honest, coaching really wasn't um and uh, a career path for me it was just I enjoyed football and I played a little bit and I was doing a course and I was fortunate to know some people at Coventry that gave me an opportunity to go in voluntary and I just ended up doing it for 18 months um, I'll be up a couple of hours, I didn't take it too seriously um, so you know turning up replicating sessions that you've seen before you've been a part of without any real knowledge or know-how of why you're doing what you're doing um so, yeah, I mean, but what I did do, and, you know, I've got to be very careful with it because I've got a bias towards this. It gave me, when I reflect on it, a perspective of I had 18 months of not getting paid and being around people and being exposed to things, which which gave me some really, really solid foundations. And I think sometimes when we have young coaches that come for part-time work and stuff like that, I've got to be very careful because I still hold on to those values of, in terms of, well, come and, come and do 12 months voluntary. Let's see how you get on take your time but you know I was incredibly and this was no it wasn't a plan but I was incredibly patient during that period just because I don't think I had any real aspirations I just kind of worked week to week but when I look back to it I did 18 months voluntary didn't get paid you know I was doing three nights a week and Saturday and Sundays um, just because I enjoyed it and I think those values always stuck with me especially when we have young coaches that, that come to our place and ask for jobs um, it's you know one of the questions always is you know, what's the part-time salary or you know what's the hourly rate. It's like let's let's do twelve months and necessarily get on. But <laughs> I also appreciate that that that, that, that there are a lot of my biases and I've got to yeah, be yeah. careful with that. I've got to be very careful with that. Yeah, it's funny because I did a podcast earlier with well a colleague from another club uh, foundation phase. He's exactly the same thing. He started doing voluntary, you know, getting there, connecting. And I remember, you know, when I first started out. I was eager just to get involved. I would have done anything for free just to be in the environment. And I think, yeah. you know, part and parcel was of that journey. So um, yeah, I mean, as I said, I can't sit here and say to everyone, you know, it was it was a well thought out plan. And you know, from an early age that you know I wanted to be in this position I'm in now. It's just kind of naturally evolved into this. Um, it wasn't until many years down the line I kind of looked at it and thought, actually, I quite enjoy this. I actually enjoy, you know, the kind of teaching and learning. I actually enjoy working with young people. I actually enjoy working with like-minded adults that have more knowledge than me that can pass it on to me. 
it wasn't till many years down the kind of down the track that I kind of evolved into this kind of semi-obsessive developer of people and young people. Um, tell us about that. Tell us about that eighteen months. And what what are the first things you know, looking back, what are the first things you picked up? Thinking right, I remember that. That's that's gonna you know that's changing me as a coach. That's changing my sessions. You know, you're surrounded by those those experienced practitioners. What are those main takeaways in those eighteen months, which improved you. Um, the the how do I put this? Is kind of a week to week process of um, there's no shortcuts in terms of you know as I said it was three evenings a week it was Saturday Sunday it was traveling up and down the country um, the kind of um, because of, I go back to this point I keep saying it because I wasn't getting paid when I reflect on it it was the sheer enjoyment of being around the game that we all love and there's something um, really addictive around football and you know there'll be thousands of people listening to this that will have that exact same feeling that addictive love for the game whether it's watching it teaching it playing it um i think the the the, the kind of the biggest thing during that period was just I, I can never forget the kids the kids were just like it's like they've been fed sugar 24 7 they were just <laughs> bouncing from wall to wall and I think one of the biggest things was how do you how do you engage young people of that age to um, still have that kind of tigger-like um, that tigger-like enjoyment for the game but actually try to get some deep line kind of embedded learning as well where you're not stifling um, you're not stifling them but you're also following a, a kind of process and a journey from a learning perspective um i didn't do it very well i'll be honest with you but um i i've got a huge amount of respect for foundation phase coaches i from my personal opinion i think they're the best coaches um just just because how they balance the enjoyment how they balance the teaching and learning aspect how they balance all those things is a is a is a art it's an absolute mastery um you know we've got uh We've got a gentleman at our place, Richard Brooks, and yeah. I think he's I think he's one of the best. He's just his ability to juggle all those things with young people that um, that have just got so much energy and love and enthusiasm, and still trying to follow process. I find fascinating. I, I'll be honest with you. I, when when I'm ready, I will I'll end up doing a full circle. I will go back to the foundation phase. I think for me, it's. Um, it's the best part of Cadden football, yeah. foundation Interesting. And so, tell us a bit about that. Do you remember that? You know, towards the end of the eighteen months, what a typical Coventry session would look like there on the pitch, there with the boys. No, I think that, again. I think that that really, in hindsight, shaped me a little bit because they didn't really have a curriculum. But the right. coaches that I that I work with were always very well planned and articulate around what they were working what they were working around but they didn't really have a curriculum and I'm not saying that's wrong or right because um, I think you have to have process and you have to have a curriculum and you have to have a way of working and going forward and I think what what Comtry did give me was the kind of artistic flair of um, or the foundations of that kind of artistic flair of thinking on the spot and um, dealing with the challenges that are in front of you because we've all been there where we've got a session plan and you've realised very, very quickly that this isn't going to work or little Jimmy hasn't turned up the session or 
um, little Jimmy's not in the right headspace to deal with what you want the session outcomes to be. So what Coventry did do, they give me a good insight. As I said, I'll go back to my point. I was terrible at it, but it gave me a very, very good insight into the kind of artistic side of coaching. What Birmingham did provide, and I'll probably fast forward in a little bit, so, but what Birmingham did provide with people there is very strong processes in terms of the coaching curriculum and this flows into this and this leads into this bit. And I think between the two, in terms of my foundation, it gave me a little bit of both. So I was very fortunate. I was really, really fortunate in terms of my coaching. Let's talk about that then, that Birmingham opportunity. How did that come about? And tell us about your first impressions when you arrived at the club. Yeah, um, so I was I was actually a guinea pig on a pro-licence course. Um, so I was a player on a pro-licence course and Terry Wesley was uh, actually on the pro-licence. And we just got chatting at lunchtime. Um, over lunch, she says, oh, what do you do? Blah, blah. I said, I'll play a little bit, you know, a bit part-time. I said, I'm actually voluntary at Coventry and he was at Derby County at the time. And he said, look, you know, if, if you want to get paid, you know, we're looking for some part-time staff. Um, here's my number. Um, give me a shout. So I actually remember I um, messaged him uh, a few weeks later saying that I'd be interested, you know, Derby, from where I was living in uh, Leamington Spa, Derby wasn't a million miles away. You know, it was, it was easy. You know, it was, it was close enough to get to work. Um I messaged him. He never got back to me. I thought, oh, that was it. And then he contacted me a few weeks later and said, I've actually left Derby. I'm out of Birmingham City, um, which was great because it was even closer. Um, when I met him and he just said, you know, I, I've never seen you coach. And, and Terry was fantastic. He said, but there's some like personality I quite like. Um, we've got an opening. I think I was assistant under nines. Um, and he just offered me a, a kind of part-time coaching role there, there and then. Um, which um, I took as, be, as again, being very young and naive, I was 19 or 20 just because I was getting paid. And there was no, I've been completely honest with you, there was no other reasoning behind it. It was just the fact that I was getting paid. Um, but that was probably the most difficult six months going into Birmingham City because Terry then left. Obviously, Christian um, took over. They obviously had a very, very um, strict curriculum in terms of the way they wanted to work. And I'd never worked like that. And, it, and it, I'll be honest with you, I really, really struggled for six months where I actually remember coming home and speaking to my parents and saying, I'm not sure if I want to do this. Um, and it wasn't because um, um, I didn't enjoy it. I think it was because I didn't understand it and I really struggled with it. And I actually remember that was two or three times my parents were great with me. They were like, no, no, stick it out. Stick it out. And I'm so glad now that, that I did. And, you know, it probably took me six to nine months just to get my head around so what is this coaching curriculum and this so links to us, this give us a bit of the give us a, a taste and get an idea that what were you confronted with um in terms of uh, so you plan your monday session with your under nines and then you know how does the monday session link to the wednesday session and who are you so burnsey at the time they were they, you know they were a little bit ahead of the curve in terms of identifying individuals within the session um and what are your outcomes? What are your learning outcomes? Where, how does that learning outcome link to the next session? And what do you want the week to look like? And what are you focusing in the game? So what's your focus on as the kind of coach for the under nines in the game? And how is little Jimmy getting what he needs? And what is it little Jimmy good at? And what is he not so good at? And it was just overwhelming. And I actually remember the first six months, I really, really struggled. And I, and I, I was very close to actually giving it up. Um, and it, if it wasn't for my parents, um, 
you know, I probably would have given it up. So what Coventry did do in hindsight, as we're talking, I'm reflecting, what Coventry did give me was the kind of artistic side of coaching where you could almost think on the spot. But what actually provided, it didn't provide me with is that kind of teaching and learning foundation, which actually was almost a hindrance. So, um, yeah, you know, just reflecting, you know, there were some positives to the Coventry experience and also some negatives because it almost kind of... Um, gave me a false sense of what coaching looks like. So, so give, us a, give us a bit of a typical session, what that looked like as your first one in there with the Nines at Birmingham. Um, yeah, so we actually still kind of follow this model. We've evolved it. Obviously, we've been at Birmingham now for, what, 12, 13 years. Um, but we've actually evolved it. But it would be um, a warm-up, um, which would have some physical outcomes. Um, obviously, at the time, Terry and Christian were very... Um, staunch on the war by being involved with the football. Now I think the Birmingham um, we're not as um, kind of direct with that in terms of it has to involve football. It might be some kind of TIG or multi-sports type activity um, as a warm-up. So it would be a warm-up that would lead into um, technical practice which uh, the coach has um, autonomy over what that looks like, whether it's opposed and unopposed, um, whether it's a game format, non-game format. So it would go into a kind of a technical element. There would be a tactical theme. Um, now we're talking about young, young boys here. So it, when we talk about tactical theme, we normally talk about 1v1 tactics or 2v2 tactics. We're not talking around, you know, inverting fullbacks or stuff like that. Um, so there would be a tactical theme that was leading to, we always, we always in the foundation phase finish with a game regardless um, now the coach at the time the football club so 10 years ago the football club were very clear on those kind of stages so warm-up technical tactical game where we've evolved a little bit over the years is you know you could go warm-up straight into a game that then might lead into a technical practice that goes back into a game I think that's where we've loosened off a little bit you but you'd still have those pillars if that makes sense. You would have a warm-up element, you have a tactical element of the session and a technical element of the session. But how what that looks like would be a little bit looser. Interesting. And like Berman is known for producing skillful 1v1 type players, you know, whether they're wire players, obviously, on um, Bellingham coming through. Do you think that reflects the sort of stuff you're doing in, in you know, is it a specificity if you like? Is, you know, you, know you, you get what you put in type thing? 100%. And I I think one thing I think we're very clear as a, from a staff perspective is our programme looks very different to uh, uh, Wolves or an Aston Villa or a West Brom Jarabium and we're comfortable with that. You know, we've had boys that have come into our environment um, from other environments that have done really, really well. But we've also had boys leave our environment, go into other environments and do very well in their environments. I think we are what we are, if that makes sense. And we're comfortable with that. And we try not to hide away from that. We are an incredibly technical program, um, which has its positives, but also has its negatives. It's the same with, you know, a Wolves, Aston Villa, you know, clubs in this area. They have a way of working, which I'm not saying is wrong or right. They believe in the way they work and they produce players by doing it that way. And I think... One thing I always say, that someone actually disagreed with me the other week when we had a conversation, I said, there's no wrong or right. There actually isn't any wrong or right. As long as there's some rationale or way of working, we work the way we work, which is very different to some of our competitors in the area. 
but it doesn't mean our program's any better or any worse. It's just that's just the way we work. Yeah, interesting. And we had uh, Wes Hughes was on the on the show recently. Yeah. He was talking just highly about his experiences working with you and in that in those in in that environment. Particularly, he talked about the, the indoor venue you had and that's tight space and the intensity there and how he tried you know tried to bring it over to Wolves. So that was one of you know real good takeaway having that and how you know that maybe like inner city working class you know club if you like you know players yeah. work hard you have that sort of mentality. Tell us a little bit about those things. Yeah, so um, we, we tried to, we were very keen on providing the boys and the coaches and in terms of our environment, we're very keen on providing variety. You know, I go back to my point then, there's no wrong, in my opinion, this is, there's no wrong or right, right way to develop a player. Um, but one thing we always try and provide our players is complete variety. So, for instance, what Wes will be alluding to, we... Every kind of three weeks, we would have what we call dome games, which was um, so we, our indoor dome is probably an 88 pitch. But we'd, we would play, um, we would ask teams to come and play us. And we're very fortunate that we've got some really forward thinking practitioners um, that, that, that it, it, you know, in youth development that wanted to be a part of it, where we would play 11 v 11 on an 88 pitch. Now, one thing I would stress to people is if you do that all the time, you, you just provide them with the same experience over and over. So we were really keen on providing that type of environment where it would be 100 mile an hour, the, the intensity would be ferocious. You would have no time, no space on the ball. But they also do need big areas as well. So I think where me and Wes work really, really well together, and I like to think that I kind of help Wes in terms of his player development education is you can't so for instance some clubs have a position specific program which is fine i think that's you know that is a part of player development but you also have to provide them with the yin to the yang if that makes sense you have to provide them with a part of that program where they have complete freedom as well to go and express themselves so the point i'm trying to make in terms of our games program is we would have dome games where we play 11 v 11 on an aba pitch but we'd also then go and play 11 v 11 on the biggest pitch we could possibly play on. So players could learn around running to spaces and running past people and having more time on the ball. So um, I think it's quite a simple concept. And I know a lot of clubs do it, but you've got to provide the players with a really varied programme. I think Nick Cox said it once, and I think it's a really good phrase, around... Do you provide players with multiple different experiences or do you provide them with one experience over and over? Um, and that's what we try and do at Birmingham. Um, you try and provide them with multiple different experiences, whether it be different oppositions, whether it be size of the pitch, whether it be game formats. Um, we are constantly on that wheel um, in terms of trying to provide them with constantly different experiences. So you, so you talked a bit about the technical work and the tactics, the 1v1s, the 2v2s. How does that progress up the foundation phase and into the YDP in terms of when the game opens up and you start doing a little bit more team, in-depth team stuff? Yeah, so um, within our foundation phase from kind of 12s onwards, I'd say, there's a huge focus on 1v1. 1v1 defending, 1v1 attacking, tracking runners, running away from runners, um, that evolves into 2v2s, 3v3s, all those types of things. I think from we, we have um, quite a, we, from our kind of 12 to 16s model, we have what we call a theming model. So they work for blocks of work on um, a theme. So for instance, um, 
few years ago, I mapped out a kind of 40-week program within our coaching curriculum where they would theme a team. And within that, the individuals within the team would theme an individual from that team. So let me give you an example. We had a centre forward, so we themed Atletico Madrid. We had a centre forward, so we played 4-4-2. And all our work was around the concept of your Atletico Madrid. So for this 10 weeks, we are theming what Atletico Madrid do. This was all within the framework of our coaching curriculum. But then the individuals within that would have their individual learning guides based around a player in their position. So we had a centre forward that had Diego Costa and Jao Felix. And also, also, although the team has a theme, the individuals within that team have a theme as well, which is based around the 11 v 11 team if that makes sense i don't know if i've 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 articulated that particularly well so our 12 to 16 program have an individual themed program that links into a team if that makes sense so we so when i when we did the under 16s a few years ago we did a 40 week block which we broke into 10 weeks where we did atletico madrid played 4-4-2 and they have a certain type of player we then themed Sheffield United, which I know was a little bit extreme, but with the overlapping fullbacks, they played three at the back, which was completely different. We then themed um, Liverpool in terms of their 4-3-3, which was a real high-pressing, high-intensity game. And then we uh, themed Man City, who play a 4-3-3 as well, but a different version of 4-3-3. And there was, there was this is like, for the people that are listening, it wasn't just a, a five-minute conversation. This was a day of planning around a 40-week block of learning, which we chose players, we, we chose teams that would get some kind of group tactical concepts out, which are all different. So those four teams were all different from a tactical point of view. But then what were the players within those teams? So for instance, let's go back to the boy that played as a centre forward. He had a 10-week block, sorry, a 40-week block, where his learning guide was based around Joe Felix, Diego Costa, um, Billy Sharp, um, Sergio Aguero, uh, Bobby Firmino. Now, that seems incredibly uh, large, but what we did when we reflect on the season, we gave him as a centre forward five or six different ways of being a centre forward. Now, people, people that listen to me say, well, what happens if he is a Diego Costa type, runs in behind combative, and you're asking him to be. Bobby Firmino but the point I would throw, throw at people is we're trying to provide them with a holistic overview of player development and just because your opinion soul is this player is this type how do we know he's that type we don't know because he's 14 years old and he's still learning the game so he might look and have the attributes of a Diego Costa type player but actually we haven't actually modelled his programme around a Bobby Vino where he actually might be really, really good or he might actually really take on the information around Bobby Vino where you drop into little pockets. And um, our 12-16s programme is actually quite unique. So we theme that for every age all the way through. Individuals that link into a team concept which then links into our coaching curriculum. It's actually, um, I'm at, from a kind of being the, now, now the leader of the ship, it's something we're very, very proud of. It's interesting that because you're, you know, you're learning through role play, if you like. I mean, I remember my time in the playground, Peter Beers, I'm Peter Beersley or Gaza or whatever. 
And it's, it's, also, it's very interesting because, you know, as our kids learn best play, you know, I'm role, oh, you know, what does he do? I'll try and do that, emulate it. It's an interesting, like, really fascinating idea. And yeah, so I think it's, it's a really great point you bring up there because I think we all do it, whether we're children yeah. or adults. So, yeah. for instance, I spoke to a coach at another club, and, and again, this is not me battering other people. This is just us being very clear on what we are at Birmingham City. And they have a black boot policy. Fine. That, that's completely fine. But that's their environment and their learning parameters. And they've produced some fantastic players. They have produced some fantastic We do what you want. Like, wear whatever boots you want from that exact, that, for that exact principle. Boys want to wear white Adidas boots because Jude Bellingham wear them. Great. Like, let them role model. Let them play with their imagination. It's honestly, and, and, and our environment is very much, well, who do you want to be? And let's, let's kind of play with that and um, go with that concept. But we do it as adults. We do it as adults. So you'll see uh, up and down the country, especially with the older age groups, um, in particular, uh, you know, generalising here of the older age groups, but people will co- copy Pep Guardiola's concept of a four-three-three. So we do it as adults. We're no different. Um, the role play element is no different. You know, I, I, I know you've had him on the on your uh, podcast before, and I think he's one of the best developers out there, Michael Beale. You know, I had a coach where I did some appraisals recently, and he was quoting a lot of Michael Beale's work. He's just role playing Michael Beale. You know, Michael Beale has influenced the next generation. We do it as adults. So why would we stop that kind of role play and experimental phase with children? And I think as soon as we kind of relax ourselves as adults and go, well, we, we actually do it. We do it. You know, I love going, to, I love watching uh, Tuchel at Chelsea and the way his team plays. I, you know, I love watching um, Pep's teams, you know. Uh, we still do it as adults. It's just a different context. Yeah, and it has, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's that idea about you said giving them freedom. You want to be creative, and you know, so rather than because I think I think we've discussed this with a lot many people in the shows that you know I think academy football sometimes you try and make it look like the first team, and yeah. like you say, what what do I think it should look like? What do I think you should look like? How you should play? Giving players the freedom to go and do it and be individuals and creative, and what a great way to challenge them to learn new skills. Going, can you play like that player? That you know, independent learners, if you like. Yeah, and I, I just think what it does do, it streamlines the noise because for that 10 weeks, their individual clips are around. I keep using Diego Costa. I don't know why I keep using him, I'll be honest with you. But <laughs> um, but, but his uh, his clips are all around Diego Costa. And then, you know, he's, when he's reflecting the game, he's, we're not saying we're trying to kind of clone him, but he's then picking out the qualities from Diego Costa. And then yeah. the next 10 weeks, he's got Bobby Firmino, Bobby Firmino's qualities. And what I think, where, where our kind of theming model and our learning concepts have evolved a little bit at the football club is, we're now talking to him around, well, what does Bobby Firmino do, don't do? What, what does Bobby Firmino not do that Diego Costa does do? So now you're getting yeah. some real dialogue and some reflection between the coach, the player, and they're, they're analysing the very best players. And it's not just the very best players. We, we, we did um, a 10-week block on Sheffield United just because we felt we had the players in that cohort of, um, uh, of, of an age group that fitted with what Sheffield United did. It was quite unique in terms of uh, the fullbacks overlapping. They had some real combative midfield players, and we just thought it was a really good fit. So it's not just about doing the, the top, top teams. You know, it's also around giving them an education in football. 
um, and what football looks like. It's not just Champions League teams. Um, so, you know, we have that across the board. So our, um, I think it's our under-13s team, uh, this, uh, back end of last season, did a 10-week theory model on Crystal Palace around this because um, the coach wanted to really kind of nail home for a period of work around uh, defending distances and being organised and being compact. So they themed Crystal Palace and then they, in that group, we had quite a creative winger, Wilfred Zaha. So there's loads of thought processes that go into it and it's not just a five-minute sit-down and go, yeah, I'm doing this. Um, so yeah, so I've, I don't no, know that's if I... fascinating. So let's just, just, just wind back then a bit. Then talk about then your 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 progression into full time football. Then you know, you've yeah. gone from you're you're working for free for eighteen months, you're part time, then you're now full time. Tell us a bit about that, how that happened, how that transition was like for you. Yeah, so I was um, part time for three years at Birmingham City. So I did the under nines, then I did the under twelves, and then I went the under 14s and then progressed into to full-time work and uh, what one thing i think uh, i missed out a little bit obviously while i was part-time at city i worked in a secondary school as a behavioral engagement tutor so i work with kids with um perceived and i use this phrase perceived um uh, behavioral issues when actually what that three years gave me was a real perspective of uh, they didn't have uh, behavioural issues, they were just unique. They were just all very unique individuals that needed maybe their programmes tailored slightly. And again, in diverting, that gave me some really, really strong foundations around individual development. Because once, so I worked for, for as I said, two years probably with individuals. I started to understand well, this person actually is only behaving that way because he doesn't understand this or he doesn't like this uh, part of education or he doesn't like this part of the school. So how can we change it adapt it to reshape? They weren't poorly behaved kids. They were just unique. And every child I have, you know, we have a coaching group for them and we're very clear on we actually have 50 curriculums in each age group if you've got 15 players because each player needs their own curriculum within a framework so I was very fortunate that I worked in a school as a, a behavioural engagement tutor which gave me a really individualised lens on learning um, I then obviously transitioned into kind of full-time work where I was a 9-16 youth coordinator um, where I kind of overseen that whole 9-16s programme um, which again gave me some unbelievable skill sets in terms of juggling multiple plates um, uh, dealing with large number of part-time staff uh, trying to have a grip on um, each uh, age group while still trying to coach so I, I had I my foundation from a coaching perspective coaching perspective accelerated very very quickly from working in a, in a secondary school from an education point of view to then having almost 18 months, two years before the EGU and kicked in of trying to run a, a schoolboy programme almost single-handedly. Um, and I made so many mistakes, it's actually embarrassing. But those mistakes actually kind of shape you um, and help you in terms of um, your the way you work from day to day. Interesting. And, 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 then, and when the EPPP came in, did that transition to a different role? Yeah, so I transitioned to just 12 to 16s and obviously brought in a foundation phase lead that looked after the kind of 7s to 11s. 
Um, so the role didn't change significantly, if I'm completely honest. It just meant that um, I could focus my attention a little bit more on secondary school boys, um, which was a lot easier for me because obviously I worked in the secondary school for, for almost three years, um, which was kind of my... Uh, I won't say area of expertise because it was, you know, I was only kind of five, six years into, into coaching. Um, but that was kind of my area of comfort. So it allowed me to go into a little bit more detail. And um, like, you know, people have their uh, opinions on the each of the people. What I think it has done it is it has allowed for greater depth of knowledge and greater depth of individualised planning for, for age groups. Um, and what that did do that period, it allowed me just to solely focus on 12, 16, or secondary school boys. Did you, were you coaching a team at the time? Yeah, so I took the under, so for the first two years, I took the under four teams, I think. Um, and then I bounced around age groups. I felt it. Um, I felt by doing, after the kind of first 12 to 18 months, of just working with a team, I thought I didn't have a good uh, a good enough grip on the whole program in terms of the kind of thread. So then I bounced around kind of twelve to sixteen. Um, once I felt that we were in a good place from a process and continuity point of view, I then took the sixteens full time. So tell us a bit more about the uh, the program, the YDP program. Obviously, you've got the uh, theme weeks. I mean, tell us about the uh, the day release program. How does that work at the club? Yeah, so um, we don't offer day release to under 12s um, just because we feel it's their first year in school um, and we feel the education side to set some real strong foundations for them in terms of um, getting settled at secondary school. We don't really offer a day release program on under 12s. Um, we offer a day release program at 30s, 14s. They normally come out on a Thursday. Um, so they come out as a kind of a group in the cell, which allows us again from a, when, you, when you go back to the previous point in terms of um, providing variety, we kind of mix those groups up. So the 13s get to train with older boys, the 14s get to train with younger boys. So they're in a cycle of if you're an under 13, you're being stretched and challenged all the time. And as an under 14, you've almost got a little period of consolidation and the game being a little bit easier and you having a period of experiment, uh, experimentation. So we um, band those groups together a little bit. So the um, 13s, 14s, uh, train on a Thursday, so they come in, they do education in the morning, they do a session kind of between, between 11 and 11.30, they then have lunch, they then have a life skills session, followed by some kind of analysis, whether that be individual, unit or uh, team, they have a second session, followed by gym and they're off. Um, so it's, I mean, they're in the building from kind of 8 o'clock past eight and they leave about quarter to five um, and it's similar to the kind of 15 16 so they have a Tuesday um, similar process in terms of come in 15 16 to train together um, 15s have to have a real stretch because they're, they're training with older boys 16s have a period of kind of as we call kind of consolidation and creativity and expression because they're playing with younger boys um, and then what that also allows us to do is uh, 
feed the under 16s into kind of transition into the 18s. So, um, 30s, 40s train together on a Thursday, 15s, 16s train together on a Tuesday, um, which obviously allows us kind of probably from January onwards the 16s to train more full time with the 18s. And obviously, one of your most famous alumni just uh, made his full England debut the other night for 90 minutes of football, Jude Bellingham. Tell us a little bit about him, I know, because we're talking about you guys training him younger and an older age group. Tell us about what was he young as a like young player? What was he like as he progressed through the academy? Did Was he always the outline? Did you know he was going to be a top, top talent? No, and uh, I think, well, I'll be honest with you, the thing that's starting to kind of really... Uh, rattle me a little bit is because obviously he's 17 and he's playing for England people just think he's this kind of generational talent and he's a wonderful talent but he came into pre-academy at kind of 7 to 8 we didn't take him straight away we took him based on the fact that he was I actually remember he was absolutely rapid he was one of the quickest um, foundation phase players I've ever seen and um, we took him based on the recruitment officer. Um, I'll be completely honest, we were sat in a meeting. I was actually in that meeting and obviously Jude's name got boxed. Yeah, I quite like the boy, you know, he's all right. You know, he you know, bounces around, you know, he's got a lovely personality. And it was actually our recruitment officer, Simon Jones, who went, no, we're taking him. Like, he's a definite take. And we went, and look, we weren't saying he's a no, but we were like, okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, all right, yeah, we'll take him, no problems. And it was probably, it wasn't till under 11s where we went right he probably needs a little bit of a challenge here so we moved him up to the under 12s um, um, and it wasn't probably till under 12s he started to accelerate a little bit and he started to go okay this boy's a little bit different um, now no one could have predicted he's gone on and done what he's done I mean you'd be you'd be insane if, if, if people sat on the call and said yeah he was always going to be playing for England at 17 um, but it probably wasn't until he was under 12s where he started to go right this boy's a little bit different you know, we probably need to provide him with a unique individualised programme um, and I'll go back to my point when people say he's a generational talent I, it, it really just rattled me I'll be completely honest with you because people have got no concept of the um, the level of planning and detail from like the theming model that we talked about earlier to we had a um, um, you know, we will continue to do it. But we had a player exchange program, um, which people don't know about, where uh, we basically sent a number of players to clubs in Europe to go and train their academies. So, um, Jude, for instance, he went over to uh, Freiburg in Germany um, and spent seven or eight days training their academy just because we wanted to provide them again with a different experience. And we sent, uh, and you know, how old was he when he did that? 13, 14, I wow. think. Um, but we wanted, again, provide them with multiple experiences so they can process things and sift things through. Um, and he went over there. Um, we got didn't get involved. Obviously, we went and chaperoned him. Freiburg were really open to it and said, yeah, yes, yeah, you know, send some players over. They can come and train with us. Freiburg were really, really good with us. and They run a magnificent program. And Jude went over for just over a week, trained in their program with the under 14, 15 groups. And we just kind of said, no, no, you're going to go and do what the German people was doing this program. And we did the same with him a year later. He went over to Cornea, uh, which is a, a program in Barcelona. They run a really, really um, 
good development program in Barcelona. So he went over to Spain for a week, trained. So people, you know, the boy deserves a huge amount of credit. I'm not, you know, I'm not taking that away from him, but people have got no concept of um, the amount of work that went into trying to, to get what we see today. So you, you talk about that, him like coming through as 12 and playing him up and stuff like that and this great project you have. I mean, how, what do you do day, what other things can you do day to day though to stretch those those players who are who are progressing a little bit faster than the other players in the group? What other, what other things can you do to stretch players rather than, you know, everyone says, oh, playing up, you know, but what else, what else do you do? Can you do to help these players? There's a number of things. Um, and one thing I, I remember actually um, when Jude left the football club, the academy coaches asked for, to do a Q&A with me and him. And I remember actually it was actually one of the best uh, coach development things I've ever done because he threw a load of stuff at me that I did, actually didn't know. Um, so one of the things that we used to do a lot was uh, underloaded, overloaded games. I said you can play with the area, the pitch. There was one time where we actually had day release and um, uh, choose version of events was I put him on the weaker team. Um, I then apparently changed some um, uh, conditions within the game around uh, the number of passes you can make in the back area of the pitch. Um, you know, when the ball went into the top area of the pitch, you couldn't come back. You have to keep it in the top area of the pitch, all those types of things. Um, I then, within the game, would change. So, so this was due story. I changed boys over. Um, I then would uh, change the uh, underloaded, overload aspect of it. Um, and he, I remember him actually saying he left day when he's got in his car with his mum and said, I don't want to go back to Birmingham City. Um, and I'll come to the kind of moral point of the story is he said, oh, I don't want to come back to Birmingham City. And the parents, again, deserve a huge amount of credit because they obviously sifted through that kind of teenage brain, which was kind of highly emotional. But um, Jude actually didn't talk to me for three months and I didn't realise. Um, he actually said to me, he goes, I was that angry with you and you pushed that many of my buttons. Um, I didn't talk to you for three months. Um, but the point I'm trying to make is when I reflected on that is I should have, I should have, when I reflect, I should have uh, been a lot more open to what I was doing because I think just doing it and going, right, we're going unloaded, overloaded, and then um, just kind of rolling that out without actually explaining, well, this is why we're doing it. Like, it's going to be hard at these points, but where does this link? So you might have a player sent off. Or uh, well, what's the, what, what is the benefit of being overloaded? Well, you've got a spare man, so you can always find a spare man, and you can have a lot more of the ball. I think where I've uh, failed players in the past is um, not actually articulating why I'm doing what I'm doing. Now, there is also, and I'm going to contradict myself here, there is a value of sometimes not telling them and actually yeah. them trying to understand why we're doing what we're doing. But in that story, which Jude tells really, really well to our academy staff, um, I was pushing him to the extreme. I was pushing him to the absolute extreme. I knew exactly what I was doing. Where I failed him was I should have at the end of the session or I should have during the session maybe just had a conversation with him and I didn't and I left him and um, I think that's a really important message for coaches that listen there are so many constraints you can put on sessions that doesn't have to when you're trying to stretch your best players or any player it doesn't have to just be playing up an age group there's so many you can do but it's understanding when do I need to articulate this to the player so they understand or when do I not need to tell them so they can figure it out I think it's the really really skillful bit of coaching 
I think it's an interesting point there because you always, you know, in academy football, or you know, you're always looking right. How can I challenge this player? So, like I say, stress this player, and like you say, a lot of times an inner monologue or talking with your colleagues. But like you say, sometimes the players just say, you know, "Oh yeah, look, now he's struggling a little bit. It's working a little bit," rather than yeah. saying, "Okay, how was that? You're reacting." And I suppose it makes them a little bit more reflective as well and analytical if you're including them in that sort of process, right? Hundred percent, hundred percent. I think one thing that, that um, I always take from that uh, CPD we did with our staff was um, I have an understanding of why I'm doing what I'm doing but the kind of icing on the cake or the cherry on the top of the cake is uh, when, where and how do I need to articulate that? Do I need to articulate it? Do I need to get the players to understand what we're doing or do I allow them to figure out what we're doing and let them figure out for themselves? That for me is skillful coaching. That's when that is the kind of, um, for anyone that's listening, if you can kind of master those bits, and you'll always make mistakes, that's part of coaching. But if you can if you can uh, kind of de-pick those little bits, that's really kind of deep level thinking of coaching, in my opinion. Interesting. So let's move on now to your progress to the, you know, your, your as they say, captain of the ship, your, you know, your, yeah. your cutting manager. Tell us about that process, how that came about, and what's that been like for the last few months? Um, very much different. I'll be completely honest with you because we've we've had quite a turbulent time. Um, without going into too much detail, um, obviously Christian Speaker was the academy manager for the best part of a decade, and uh, he's one of the the best out there for me at what he does. Um, and he had obviously run the program the way he felt the program should be run. And um, Stuart English, who was head of coaching, um, was a huge part. There were two. Monumentally, monumentally strong and influential characters in the program. Just not just in terms of the position they held, but in terms of the way they went about their daily business. We lost them very quickly in quick succession. So obviously, um, Christian moved on. Um, the club asked me to um, uh, carry on his work, um, and I think that was more from a point of view of the fact that I'd been at the football club best part of 13 years and I kind of knew the kind of coaching program the technical elements of the program by the back of my hand um, what's been a practice of a fire for me is the bits that Christian is incredibly competent at and probably excels at um, are quite foreign to me in terms of um, I've gone from heading up the kind of professional development phase and looking after the 18s and 23s to now looking after kind of 42 full-time members of staff 50 part-time members of staff how do i communicate information you know where do i divide my attention um you've got other things thrown into the mix in terms of parents agents all those types of things you realize um one just how well christian did from my this is just my opinion how christian how well christian did in terms of balancing all those things but not only that just how big the operation is um, and I think the, the biggest disappointment I have at the moment, as I said, I'm only kind of seven, eight months into the role, and it's something that I will address is my the time on the grass and those kind of 13 years of um, improving myself from a practical perspective in terms of working with players is now limited. And I actually remember John McDermott saying something around you almost you um, work yourself into a position where you actually stop doing the bits that worked you that got you into that position if that makes sense yeah, yeah. Um, 
and it's and it's so true. And I think um, the one real big challenge for me is um, trying to keep doing what I think I'm um, good at or what's got me into this position, um, while still trying to help with the program. And, and yeah, I mean, it must be difficult. Imagine all those other things, upskilling yourself in terms of the, the the admin and those things, like you say, and all the challenges, known the the things and the, the all the processes that go on. How challenging is that? Um, really challenging because it doesn't um, fuel a lot of my biases. If I'm honest, you know, if if I could the, the previous role I had, where I was kind of out of the 80s and 23s every day, is almost like the the utopia role because you're just on the grass all the time and planning sessions yeah. and thinking about individuals now you're thinking about everything else it, it, it's a it's a massive challenge but um it's one i think i will well i know that's a, that's a thing, i know i will um reflect on in the next kind of four or five years and see it as a huge growth period for me um in terms of whatever the, the future looks like for me you know, I, I, I think I, um Sorry to interrupt you, Dodzy. I, I think it's actually interesting because I've been at clubs where the management changes and someone new comes in and, you know, new ideas, they come to a different environment and they they change everything, maybe slowly, and you lose maybe your identity of what you had before. Yeah. So I think it's a real interest, I think it's real positive because you're obviously such a great track record that you know the system, like you say, you've done you created it. I suppose what my next question is I suppose your challenge is now how do you take it on? How do you progress it? How do you make it even better? You know, that once you've been in that in that system, um, yes, yeah, it's, it's a it's a really good question. I think the um, the stuff where I've almost let the staff down in the last six months has been because I've spent less time around the players and the staff and the teams. Um, some of the kind of, as we said, the the planning and the delivery and the reflection and the theming model and the individualized part of our program, in particular in the 18s, 23s, um, has loosened off a little bit. And that's no disrespect to the staff. That's no disrespect to the staff at all. Um, but I think in particular around the 18s and 23s, um, I need to spend more time in terms of helping and when I say helping, you know, I'm not holding a hand. It's just providing another lens and another opinion, helping around individualising the programme for the 18 to 23 boys, around trying to get them in our team or get them alone or get them a new club or whatever that looks like. I mean, to, to, to go back to your point, is, is how does it evolve? In terms of our coaching programme, I think we know what we are and I don't think we need to change that. The core of the stuff is the same. I think how we evolve is I'm not Christian speaking. Um, and I think it's trying to get the staff and the programme to understand, although the practical elements of our programme um, have to stay consistent for the players and the parents because they brought into that product. Um, the kind of day-to-day -day process might look slightly different because... Um, from a selfish point of view and from a point of perspective of what I feel is best for the programme, you know, I want to still be out on the grass. And Christian was very much not on the grass as much or he would very, he would be much more of a watcher in terms of watching sessions, watching games. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a lot more of a doer. Um, so that's where our programme will evolve a little bit around um, 
me being just as visible as Christian, but maybe being more uh, practical-based rather than uh, process-based. Interesting. And, and there is a natural evolution coming anyway, or, you know, revolution, if you like. You're going into Cat 1. We are Cat 1 now. Tell us a bit about yeah. that then. How was that? How challenging is that? And what you know, what, what do we look what we look for to expect from the, the changes in the academy now? Um, in terms of the way we recruit, obviously you now have the option to recruit nationally. But I've always said this: we are incredibly fortunate that we have the second biggest city in the country. I appreciate there is a huge amount of competition, but the city does provide for us in terms of the catchment area, and there are always players around. So from a recruitment perspective, I don't see a huge amount of change. But what I do um, I do envision, obviously, we've increased our um, staffing numbers. So we've got an additional two full-time members, two full-time coaches, as well as, um, you know, additional full, uh, support staff. But we've appointed an additional two full-time members of staff from a coaching perspective. There'll be some pressure on... Um, the coaching department in terms of delivering an even greater individualised programme for our players. Um, you know, the the what the club have financially backed the Category 1 in terms of uh, infrastructure and new staffing. But I've said this to the staff, it's not a goodwill gesture. You know, the club are investing X amount of money to increase the budget and uh, the number of full-time staff. There's going to have to be a return on that investment. Now, we, you know, even when you ask me the question around June, you know, I actually don't like talking about June because although we should celebrate success and um, we will always be proud of June's success, June's gone. You know, you know, the the board are not interested in June. They want the next one. They want the next one. And June's been a blessing and a curse in terms of a blessing around people will look at us and go, oh, there might be some good work going on at Birmingham because you've got that callow player coming through your programme. But it's also a curse in terms of the owners now want the next one, the next one, the next one. So there is there is a degree of pressure on uh, myself and the staff to ensure that that um, productivity line is consistent, if that makes sense. Um, so how many full-time, tell us about, what's your full-time coaching staff at the moment? To run through your like full-time coaches through the uh, from, from the bottom upwards. Yeah, so we have um, two full-time foundation phase staff, three full-time YDP staff, uh, three full-time goalkeepers, um, four full-time professional development phase coaches, we have two head of coachings, um, one that deals with more the bottom end of our program, or the babies, one that deals with more the top end, more older boys, um, and obviously myself. You know, I, I still, um, I'm still holding on to the fact that I'm a full time coach that has got some kind of management responsibilities. Well, well, you, you talk about that. In my experience, obviously, we had John McDermott, like I say, very much hands on. <laughs> on the pitch a lot with the 18s and the 23s and then obviously Neil Barth at Chelsea a little bit the other way a bit like you said with Christian very much more yeah. of a management style so I suppose it's about what, what what style academy manager you want to be and luckily you're the boss so you can decide right yeah and I think that's where the kind of next six months the transition is going to be quite hard for the staff that that we have I think because they've been so used to one way of working although it's not going to be a chasmic shift in any way shape or form around what we're doing day to day 
the shift is going to be, and I think it's a like you've it quite well. You know, a John McDermott who is on the grass and he's very much a practitioner of player development. Um, has been hugely successful from it, but obviously Neil Bath has been just as successful in doing it his way. And it goes back to like, my point, I don't want to keep chasing, uh, repeating myself, there's no actually wrong or right. It's just making sure we're very clear in terms of what it looks like and everyone's on board and everyone's going in the same direction. So I think the, the, the evolution over the next six months will be very much around me and my role. And I don't mean that from a selfish perspective. That's, you know, just because, you know, I'm Mike Dodds, Christian Speakman's Christian Speakman. Um, and the program isn't going to change, but there's going to be processes and elements of the program that will change naturally just because you've got two different people running the ship or leading the ship, if that makes sense. Interesting. And then what about yourself then? You know, what are your, you know, your aspirations for the future? There's not that you've done every job at Birmingham. So well, you know, what's, <laughs> what's next for you? Um, look, I think in the short term was we've had, we've had a really difficult, um, six to 12 months, um, at the academy for again multiple different reasons and I think I'm really proud of myself and I'm not one to um, uh, praise myself or big myself up or I don't know what the phrase is but um, I'm always I'm probably the most critical person um, of myself than anyone but one thing I'm really when I reflect now over the last six months of just steadying the ship and you know um slowing down some of the anxieties and worries that came around our program so i'm really proud of myself around the kind of my behaviors of being really consistent and um trying to make sure everyone understands that the program's still running the way it's running and there's not really any chasmic shifts so in terms of the last six months i think my focus has just been to uh, i've got a roundabout way of just kind of steadying the ship um I think I've got to have a look at whether this is the role that I actually want to do. Um, and I don't mean that in a disrespectful way to the role of a football club, but I think that is something that I need to reflect on because um, my personal being, I'm a coach um, and I've got to do what's right for the 150 boys in our programme, the parents and the staff that although the kudos and the ego of a caddy manager might turn people on, it's not something that I've ever really thought about. And I've got to do the right thing by all those people in our programme around, am I the right person to um, steer this ship? Um, so that's something that I, I need to reflect on. I think at some point I will leave Birmingham City. I think I have to leave Birmingham City. Again, that's, that, that's something I'm very vocal about because... Um, I've spoke a huge amount here around variety and experiences our young players, and I'm a hypocrite because I've only worked in, oh, so I've worked at Birmingham uh, City, but I've worked at Birmingham City for 12 years. I haven't experienced anything else. So at some point, I will leave Birmingham City. What time frame that looks like, I'm not sure, but I do want to experience something else um, for my own growth and my own development. Um, and uh, you know, at some point as well, I think I probably will have a little bit of a break from the industry. Um, I think it's really important to have um, some a period where you have some perspective on what you've actually done um, and reflect on things that you've done well and things you've not done so well. So I think I've, I've got three things um, 
I'm trying to summarise it, but a really long way of summarising is, um, am I the right person to kind of steer um, Boeing City into, as you said, this kind of next uh, period of their evolution as a, as a football academy going to Cat One and um, they've got some fantastic young footballers. Am I the right person? The second bit would be, you know, at some point I do need to um, broaden my horizons and experience something different. And a third bit would probably be um, experiencing maybe a different industry um, or experiencing something away from the industry that I'm currently at currently at they would be probably the three things in terms of what the future looked like i'm not a huge one on timelines i don't like timelines because i think you you get bound by it and you put pressure on yourself around it i'm a huge believer it'll happen when it happens um so if your next question was well when's that gonna be um i'm uh, i'm not sure i'm more than happy with that as top draw just and last one lastly what your advice be to a young aspiring coach who wants to one get into academy football you talked about voluntary work earlier and then two have a successful career and like yourself and you know get work full-time in the game um that question i think the first thing that always jumps when that question gets over to it one thing that always kind of jumps in my head when people ask me that question is you've got to be authentic. Um, uh, I'll go back to the point I just made. Christian Speakman was a caddy manager at Bergen City for the best part of a decade and was outstanding at it. Um, and he's a completely different character to me. Um, and that's not to say Christian's way of doing it or the way that I see the academy evolving is the wrong or right way so i think be genuinely authentic around who you are as a person um i think the next point i would make is you know i've, I've been coaching now for 15 years i think um and i feel like the more i'm involved in it the the more i realize i don't know and i think when I look back at the young Mike Dodds, I think I was probably kind of the first four, five, six years of my coaching a little bit probably arrogant and naive around thinking you know what you know when actually you don't. And I look at people like your Alex Inglethorpe, your John McDermott, your Michael Beals, those types that have been in the industry a lot longer than me and are far better coaches and practitioners than, than I am and they're still striving and they're they're still um, they're still have a thirst for knowledge and getting better and improving what they're doing the point I think I'd make to young people is enjoy the journey and there's no um, the journey actually and this might put a damper for people it doesn't stop um, there's no end point um, there's no right I've done that now um, or I'm a master at this um, and just enjoy it I think people when they listen to podcasts there's loads of um, fantastic quotes and phrases and uh, bits of information which which I think is hugely important for a young person but just enjoy it enjoy learning enjoy being around people don't take yourself too seriously you're gonna make mistakes it's a part of the process just enjoy the journey you know as i said i've been doing this 15 years 
and I don't even feel like I've scratched the surface of what player development looks like or people development. I don't, I, I, you know, I think that's where I have an unhealthy obsession with the industry that I work in. Um, because I just want, I want to learn more. I want to know more. I want more feedback. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure if that's actually your question, mate. Yes, mate. Dodzy, cheers, pal. It's been amazing. Appreciate your time, mate. Thanks no worries. Thanks, mate. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks for tuning in to the MyPersonalFootballCoach.com Soccer Player Development Podcast. MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's dynamic ball mastery program is the world's leading online individual technical training program, proven and developed at the highest level in the English Premier League. Sign up now to train like the pros and take your game to the next level. Master the ball, master the game.